Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, the headlines have us focusing our attention in Ukraine and Russia's aggression. Uh, They're not the only challenge on the international stage. North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un successfully launched an intercontinental ballistic missile this last week that could possibly reach the United States. And this isn't North Korea's first missile test of the year. So the question then becomes, well, what message is coming out of North Korea? What's their end game? How does Iran factor into all of this? And what policy should the Biden administration be pursuing in response? So beyond the headlines, let's begin. Think you know the news of the day. They begin. Very pleased to have join us on the program today, Nick Eberstadt, who holds a chair at the American Enterprise Institute and is a senior advisor to the National Bureau of Asian Research. Uh, Nick, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Uh, you had a great piece uh, talking about uh, North Korea. There's just sort of fallen off the map for so many that uh, the focus has been so laser uh, lasered in on Ukraine and Vladimir Putin and all of those things that uh, some people forget that there's still things happening in North Korea, and uh, you made the the uh, case that the U.S. needs to make sure we're doing things with North Korea uh, and their war machine while we're still dealing with all these other things around the world. Sure. Well, the reason for the wake-up call has been the spate of missile tests in uh, North Korea uh, since the beginning of this year, the latest one uh, in March being a so-called monster missile, which apparently is designed to merge multiple warheads and is an intercontinental ballistic missile that our folks think is capable of reaching any spot in uh, the USA. North Korea has been methodically planning to fight and win a nuclear war against the United States, and they know that. We kind of ought to know that, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it It's one of those things, if, if they're at war with you, you better make sure you understand what that means and uh, what you do about that. Uh, one of the things that you point out is is kind of the financial side of all of this. And uh, so what are the policies we should be looking at as it relates to North Korea uh, to have the right kind of deterrence and uh, prevent them from both those nuclear capabilities and, and launching into that kind of war? Well, whenever North Korea launches a missile, we have this sort of self-centered impulse to say, what does this mean about us? Are they trying to send us a signal? Do they want to talk with us? 
It's not about that. They launch stuff when they need to test new weaponry. The reason they're testing the new weaponry is because they're building up this long-term arsenal to be able to put a pistol at our heads so that they can have a showdown in the Korean Peninsula and get us out. We need to wreck their war machine. We need to wreck that plan. And the way we can do that is by draining the funds that finance the resources for North Korea's war machine. We've tried for 30 years to negotiate North Korea out of these ambitions, and we know that totally doesn't work. Our only hope, I think, is by draining the money pool for it. And so would this look like a uh, a series of, of sanctions? Would this be similar to what has been rolled out uh, with Russia uh, in the last month? Is that really the, the way to get to, to get the message across? We already have in place very strict, far-reaching economic sanctions against North Korea and its proliferation uh, that have been implemented by the United Nations Security Council. On the basis of those strictures, we have a lot of room for uh, hunting down and seizing or uh, disrupting North Korea's international resource network. The difference between Russia and North Korea, of course, is that North Korea's GDP is approximately zero. It's very small. The positive aspect to that is that disrupting some of these flows would be very disruptive for the war machine. There's a lot of sanctions busting that's going on by Russian and uh, Chinese entities supplying North Korea. We should be looking at those and uh, taking action on those. There are invisible uh, flows of illicit funding. There's the cybercrime, the bank robbing that North Korea does. There's probably a homework club with Iran. It's a little awkward that we're trying to make a new nuclear deal with Iran while Iran may be funding North Korea's WND programs. Mm. We need better intelligence and we need to be following up with it quite severely. Yeah, I, I want to dig into that. Uh, one of the things that caught me in your in your piece, Nick, was uh, uh, you described it as uh, North Korea uh, launching this lucrative new career in cybercrime. What else can you tell us about that? Unfortunately, any technical assistance that is granted to North Korea ends up working for the purposes of the North Korean state. So a few years ago, or sometimes a few decades ago, um, some international groups started to train North Koreans in international business and law. Of course, that immediately ended up as insurance fraud in the city of London. We've had private sector people trying to train uh, North Koreans in technology and science. There's a private campus in uh, Pyongyang that existed for this. The offshoot from that is cybercrime. And we can go back at least to the Sony hack after that uh, movie, the interview that the regime didn't like so much. Uh, but since then, we know that like the Central Bank of Bangladesh has been robbed by North Korea cyber criminals. There are a lot of smaller banks uh, that have also been robbed. Banks don't like to admit this, obviously, because it's reputationally bad. Right. But we can do a much better job of whack-a-mole than we've been doing on this front. Yeah. And I want to go back to uh, your comment about uh, the 
progress on the Iran nuclear deal. What else do we know in terms of uh, maybe, as you said, this little homework club uh, between uh, between Iran and uh, and North Korea? I'll give you one example. I mean, clearly all of this stuff is illicit and subterranean, so they don't write about this much in the newspapers or the press releases. But back in back about 10 years ago, there was uh, something called the Tehran-Pyongyang Scientific Cooperation Agreement. It was signed. They never described exactly what it was. I'm pretty sure that North Korea wasn't supplying new thinking in the life sciences to Iran. You know what right, I mean? Right. Um, but what we saw happen barely weeks after they, that uh, agreement was inked was that after a decade of hyperinflation, North Korea's currency suddenly stabilized. Mm. So the way I look at that, it suggests to me that North Korea is transferring WMD expertise to Tehran, and Tehran's transferring dollars to North Korea. And because of the stovepiped nature of intelligence work, people who do Iran do Iran and don't look, you know, off of their, you know, out of their lane. But we need to be looking a lot more carefully at the relationship between North Korea and the whole terror bazaar in the Middle East. And if we do that, I think we're going to find a lot of illicit funding for North Korea there as well. Fascinating stuff. And finally, before I let you go, Nick, what are you watching for? What, what should we should, what should we all be watching for? Uh, I love this idea of getting out of the stovepipe for a minute in terms of our thinking and how we're viewing North Korea. What are you watching in the uh, in the months ahead? Well, the fact that we've had this spate of missile tests this year suggests to me that North Korea's economic situation is getting back towards the capabilities of creating trouble again. For two years, the uh, North Korean regime was basically incapacitated by its COVID woes, some of these being self-created problems. If North Korea is back on its economic feet, that's a low bar, obviously, but if it's back on its economic feet, it's going to get back to its international playbook of menace and extortion. And uh, I would expect we should be looking out for more missile tests if they've got the capability of doing it. And I wouldn't put uh, nuclear explosions off the table either. Mm -hmm. We should just be on the lookout for this. Critical conversation. Great insight as always. Nick Eberstadt, uh, chair at the American Enterprise Institute and a senior advisor to the National Bureau of Asian Research. Always great thinking, great writing. Uh, Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Uh, That's such a critical conversation. It's so easy to forget about places like North Korea when they go quiet for a little while. Of course, uh, that uh, season of quiet ended uh, as Kim Jong-un successfully launched an intercontinental ballistic missile test over the weekend. The thing that concerned me most about what Nick said was the connection to Iran. In the moment we have people pushing towards the Iran nuclear deal revised, knowing that a lot of that is going back and forth between Iran and North Korea, and nobody is connecting the dots. Time to think again. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.